Welcome to the Beginner Audiophile Show, where we bridge the gap between the clueless big box stores and the snobby stereo shops. Every show is filled with gear reviews, commentary, and interviews aimed to find out what makes a real-world difference in your listening experience, how to get the most bang for your buck, and frankly, how to begin experiencing your music in the way it was intended. And now, your co-hosts, Harris Fogel and Michael O'Neill. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you? Michael O'Neill here from Beginner Audio File. You know, I say ladies, but I don't know if there's any ladies that have listened to the show. If you're a lady, you got to let me know. Um, I apologize, first and foremost, for the delay in getting this episode to you, but I wanted to... Uh, we had Rocky Mountain Audio Fest in Denver, and I wanted to do that show first and get some rad content, which I did, and then put the show out there. So I have actually two great episodes coming out with some... Um, some, I want to do the show wrap-up, which is not going to be this episode. It's going to be the next episode, where I actually get to interview uh, Steve Gutenberg. I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, in the audiophile world, he is the reviewer for CNET, and he's literally reviewed over 20,000 products. So we, we had a great chat, uh, which I will intro the next time we talk here on this very podcast. So uh, today, we get to do some really cool stuff. So um, one of the great things about going to a show, and by the way, I can't wait to tell you all about this show. It was awesome. Um, one thing I will share with you is that I still f- I feel like this particular show, Rocky Mountain Audio Festival, was probably the best one I've ever been to. It just had a great vibe to it. I don't know why. It just had a great vibe overall. It, and it felt like, <laughs> excuse me, it felt like there was more energy in the in the space, you know what I mean? Like there were more people that were participating. There were there were more people that were disrupting, which I thought was cool. Um, I had a, and I'm going to talk about this on the next show as well, but I had a first timer and I took her to two different quarter of a million dollar rooms. And then I took her to this one room that was just a company called Peachtree Audio and a company called Zoo Audio, Z-U. And they had a $13,000 system. And I know that's a little outside the realm of what we talk about here. But it was better than 99% of the stuff I heard all weekend. And it was less expensive than one amplifier in the next room. So they had like, you know, four amps and they were all like 20 grand a piece. This thing was 13. And it was just a uh, two-channel Peachtree Audio Nova 300, which to me, I can't wait to bake off the Nova 300 versus the Parasound Halo. Because those are they're about the same price point and they promise about the same stuff. And I can't wait to try them because it's going to be uh, it's going to be a battle royale, but uh, that's going to be fun. Um, but it was just those hooked up to these two zoo speakers. Now the zoo speakers were ten grand; they were big fatty fats. Um, although, I mean, again, in the in the grand scheme of things, all relative, that's not that much money in that building because a lot of the speakers people say, "Oh, these are only eighty. They were you know ninety five last year, and we lowered them to eighty. You're like, oh, that's a lot. That's still a house in the Midwest. Um, but, and I will share one other thing with you that was funny. I was in one of those rooms and, you know, when you start getting into the nitty gritty, it's really easy to find money to spend, by the way, you get some great speakers, you get a great preamp or a great amplifier, integrated amp, whatever, and you start playing stuff. And then, then you start this incremental improvement, but it's really, truly incremental. It's just a dusting of change in my opinion. But I was in this room, it was a super expensive room. And they were saying how these things you can put under your um, 
under your components, like a record player or under your amplifier. You put it under the feet, and it gives this thing this stable platform to be on. And they had these things, they look like hockey pucks, like metal, super heavy metal hockey pucks. And I, I was just like, uh, you know, what's the deal there? And then the guy said, well, they're, they're 300 bucks. And I said, oh, that's, I said, oh, I, I see. And that's not my audience. That's, we're not, we're not spending 300 bucks on four feet to put under our amp yet. He goes, no, they're 300 bucks a piece. I'm like, oh, we're definitely not spending 1200 bucks to put these four little hockey pucks under the feet. Um, and then later on, someone said, oh yeah, just use a coin, just put a coin under. And it does the same thing. I'm like, okay, so I can get literally four half dollars and put them under the feet or a stack of them. How about I get 20 and make my own stack of five a piece? And, you know, anyway, the, the world we live in. Anyway, um, here's what's cool about this show is I, it's very rare, um, right now for, you know, a bookshelf or something that we can get into as, as beginners or as entry-level folks, it's really hard to get a big, you know, floor-standing tower speaker or a set of bookshelves that can really reproduce the entire experience. We can do it, but it's it's missing a ton of mid-range and bass because it's just not that kind of speaker. Um, it just can't do it. And really, to be honest, um, you know, I heard the, the, para, the Paradigm um, uh, Personas, and those were great, but... They could have even used a sub, and they were ten grand. Um, the demo that I saw from Peachtree was great, and the zoos were ten grand, but they had two subwoofers like hiding in the corners, just playing. They're really, really, really low, and so it is a huge part of the experience. And sometimes it's it's bass that you can feel, but not necessarily hear yet. And so I wanted to talk, uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, episodes ago, sorry about the cough. I just got off the plane and I'm all nasally and whatever. Um, anyway, episodes ago, we did the big subwoofer bake-off and we had the, the rel and we had the SVS subs. Um, I still have my two SVS subs in my, uh, family room. And it is so rare for me to bring somebody to my house and play a song or play a, um, uh, like a, a DVD or something for them that they don't look at look at me and go what is what are we talking about here? And it's window rattling. It's amazing, and it really allows you to feel the music and the power of the movies and everything. And so I thought because that's such an important part, and really in the grand scheme of things, offers almost more sonic bang for the buck than anything else at all. That I thought, why don't I give? Um, you know, I chatted briefly with Nicholas Brown last year or maybe actually earlier this year, um, from SVS. But I wanted to actually get um, the president of SVS, and that is Gary Yakubian. So Gary and I sat down in the lobby of the Marriott in Denver, and we did probably like 40 minutes. And you're going to learn so much about subwoofers in the next 40 minutes. It's going to change how you uh, how you shop for music. And, so, and, and actually, it's going to change how... Um, uh, it may even change what you purchase because I'll tell you right now in my theater room, I have a set of paradigm prestige, uh, standing floor standers, but I may, I may very well sell those. And if you're interested, you can reach out and I might get myself a pair of the, the Elac Adantes once I demo them, 
because they sound amazing. But those are, I might get the bookshelves. I may do bookshelves and sub versus doing a, a full floor stander. So I'm not, I haven't decided yet, but that's kind of what I'm leaning on right now because you can make, you can really control, you know, the experience that way. But um, you're going to learn a lot about subwoofers in the next 40 minutes and why they're important and why they work great for theater, why they work great for uh, two-channel audio, how to set them up. I mean, we really taught, we really dug through and I, and I dug through a lot of questions that I thought you guys would have. So I hope that you get a lot out of it. One thing I will say, we didn't, we didn't completely um, define it, but in the process of this conversation, we talked about what's called the subwoofer crawl. And it has to do with um, how to set up a single subwoofer in a room. And what you do is you have your couch or your chair, whatever, wherever you listen to the music in the sweet spot, and you put a little stool on there. You put a little, like a little, you know, a little stool, something you have in your kitchen or something. And you put the subwoofer on top of that stool. So, or maybe a little table, whatever it is. But you basically put it about ear level and you put the subwoofer on. You run a big long cable to it. And then you play the same song over and over and over again. And you literally go right up against the wall on your hands and knees like a baby. And you crawl around the outside of the room to see where the bass sounds the best. And what you're going to find is you're going to hear some spots that are boomy. And you're going to hear some spots that are really tight. You're going to hear some spots where there's no bass at all. And you go, wow, that's crazy. But you're also going to hear a spot where it feels super cohesive. And it sounds great. And like it sounds like when there's a drum, that the kick drum sounds exactly like it's supposed to. If there's an explosion, there's a nice bottom end without getting too boomy or blossomy. And you're going to go, yeah, that's the spot. And that's where you can put, you put, put a little piece of tape down there and keep crawling. Because you're going to find two or three spots in your room that will be good spots that you can put it. And depending on the aesthetic of your room and if there's a um, something that Steve said, a spouse acceptance factor, an SAF, instead of just a wife acceptance factor, um, if there are, you know, if there's a good spot there in the room where it looks great and it sounds great, that's what you do. So you crawl, you put a mark down, and then that's where you put your sub, or at least that's the baseline of where you put your sub. And what you'll find... Um, is that Gary mentioned a little bit about when they set up the room at the Marriott, that they moved the thing three inches and it made a colossal difference in the room. So it really, really cool. It's There truly is a science to it and an art to it at the same time. So um, anyway, enjoy. Um, I want you guys, if you could as well, we've got a Facebook page now. So look for Beginner Audiophile on Facebook. And if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram. And um, I will be setting up um, a kit.com very soon. And what that's going to be is a bunch of gear that I recommend. So if you guys are looking for a certain price point or whatever, I'm going to have a bunch of recommendations um, that are on my kit.com. So stay tuned for that. And uh, that's it. And f again, feel free to write me, beginneraudiophile at gmail.com, or you can uh, reach out on the Facebook page or whatever. And uh, I will try to answer anything I want. Um, I will qualify that. I don't know everything yet. That's why this is beginner audio file. I don't have... You can't be like, hey, uh, what does the 1986, you know, NAD 200-watt amp sound like compared to today's Emotiva? I'm like, I have no idea, dude. You're going to have to test them. I have no clue. So um, I'm doing my best to try to get in front of these people and um, and get as much gear as I can and listen to it and try to give you guys real world, like, this is what works. This sounds like shit. This doesn't. This makes no difference. This totally makes a difference. But this episode is going to totally make a difference. I'll tell you that right now. So 
Um, SoloR.com and uh, not what I'm still SoloR. It's my old show. BeginnerAudioFile.com is where you can find all this stuff. And um, oh, one more thing. I totally forgot. Um, the two best. So a, a huge part of these shows is song selection. You've got like 15, 20 seconds when people walk into your room to, to captivate them with how your stuff sounds. I cannot believe how bad most companies are at choosing music that highlights their, their products. Um, I will say, though, that David Solomon from Peachtree and Andrew Jones from ELAC do a phenomenal job with that. They do such a good job of picking the right kind of music to make their stuff sound great. And I was um, I bribed David enough to share his title playlist with me. And there's two of them, and I'm going to put the links on this episode's show notes. So go to beginneraudiofile.com and look for this episode. And um, you should be able to click the link and then add the... Um, you have to log into title on your computer. But once you do and you click the link... You, it should pop up, and then you just say uh, favorite or add to your playlists, and then you'll have them. So you'll have both these playlists, and David did such a good job picking the music that um, it's going to make your system sound insane. So without further ado, Mr. Gary Yakubian and our friend Nicholas Brown from SV Sound, SVS, uh, and we'll see you guys next time. So at CES uh, this year, I had to go way out of my way to get the Dolby Atmos demo disc. And I finally got it, and I plugged it in, and I started playing through the files. And there's one called Awake that when it hits this particular section that says an astounding deep bass, my windows rattle off. And that's because I have a pair of SVS SP2000 subs in my home theater room. And what I love about SVS is that in, in, uh, right now we're uh, at Rocky Mountain Audio Fest, and there's a lot of rooms that have very stodgy, uh, traditional people. And then there are some rooms that bring Dolby Atmos setups to things like this, which is blasphemy in some people's eyes. Um, and I love that SVS is continuing to target a younger audience, a newer audience. They sell direct. They're just a hip, and I, I love the company. I sit here this second with, shit, I just couldn't vote to it, with Gary Yakuzian. No. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> I know, I tried. And Nicholas Brown, both Yacoubian. from SV, Yakubian, from SVS. And you're here uh, in the flesh. I and am. doing Dolby Atmos. And BTSX. Uh, how fun is that? We're having a great time. You know, we... Uh, we joke we're the guilty pleasure uh, of uh, Rocky Mountain Audio Fest. I mean, we're, you know, if, if most of Rocky Mountain Audio Fest's expensive canapes and hors d'oeuvres were, you know, nacho Doritos, everybody likes nacho Doritos. So, but you know, That's right. I think it's been, uh, and, and a lot of the younger people get drawn to our room because we've got, you know, fun demos. We have two channel as well. We're doing two channel demos, but it's real music. It's not like audiophile. Uh, recordings with maybe artists that most people have never heard of. So we try to kind of broaden the definition of what an audiophile even is. Right. And I love the speakers that are uh, hooked up to that two-channel little peach tree system in there. What, what are those? Those are our ultra bookshelf speakers. And I'm really proud of those. That, that actually is the most award-winning product that we have. It's even, mm. although it's an $1,000 a pair bookshelf speaker, it has even won Consumer Digest Best Buy. Um, 
And that's an interesting one because you don't even know that your product is being evaluated. They just buy a, a bunch of different, you know, dozens of different speakers and evaluate them. They buy them at retail. And um, two, as out of the six speakers that won, two of them were SVS speakers. Wow. And, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, a $1,000 pair of bookshelf speakers, you wouldn't expect a magazine like Consumer Digest to, you know, think of that as a best buy. Hmm. Well, I suppose that would be too high for them. One would think. Too low in this building. Too low too, in this building. <laughs> too high so true. for... Well, it's funny because um, I had a first-timer yesterday. I think I might have mentioned this on a different interview, but I had a first-timer that had never, didn't know anything about this world. And we went and listened to two quarter-of-a-million-dollar rooms in a row. And she was like, yeah, that's cool. And then we went over to uh, Peachtree and listened to them with the zoo. They're 13 grand. It was literally... Their whole setup was less than one amp in the previous room that we were in. And she was, like, moved by it. So... What I love about SVS is that they're playing in this really disruptive space of sub $3,000 items, three to five, right, of, of really getting into the stuff that, that, that I think has the most innovation in it right now. Well, you know, one of the fun things that we, that we do at SVS when we go to shows like this is you know, we'll have a show of hands and we'll say, okay, how many of you have heard a set of $80,000 or better speakers mm. today? And, of course, all the hands go up, and everybody's kind of happy and proud that they, that they heard that. And, um, and then I say, okay, keep your hands up. How many of you are in the market for a set of $80,000 pair of speakers? <laughs> right. And, of course, all the hands go down. Right. So, you know, our mission is to try to provide a slice of that, you know, and I'm not dissing expensive stuff. Yeah. It's a heck of a lot easier to make great expensive. It's a heck of a lot easier to make great expensive stuff than it is to make great affordable right. stuff and so we work really really hard to bring a slice of that world-class immersive convincing audiophile refinement to broader audiences um, than is typical what are some of the compromises you have to make when you're targeting a thousand dollar speaker well i mean first of all we're not redefining the laws of physics they're still out there yeah. so without sounding crass we don't make as much money as some of our competition we work on a, a leaner a leaner right. model and and our retail partners it's part of the direct sales thing well as there's well, that right? too but but we also have retail partners and in their zeal like we have listen up here in denver yeah in their zeal to bring the best value possible to their customers they're willing to uh, work a little leaner as well. So that is one of the things we do. We are, okay. we're, we're pretty customer So margins are tighter, but yeah. and you can we, put we, more we, bang for the buck into the product. Right, and we are very, very uh, rigorous about our design process. And, you know, we'll do a very, a lot of advanced upfront investment in having an awesome design. And if you do that, then, then um, you, you know, you're, you're kind of investing in, in advance of the product success. But if you do that, then you can... Some, you can often um, del you can often deliver you know extreme value to the customer um, with with I guess materials that uh, other companies are, aren't are not able to use. Right. Well, you have maybe the the the, the sense of scale that they might not have. Right. Is that right, part you of it? Absolutely. We we um, we invest in advance. We we expect to 
engage lots of people all over the world. Um, yeah. We do build in China, um, which makes our, our uh, all-in-one factory where we have our own employees. But it, it all, you know, in the end of the day, we take no prisoners to provide the best possible value and performance for right. our customers. So, but on the, on the value side, there has to be things. You walk around and there's furniture-grade stuff around that you show, you know, in a in the White House, for crying out loud. But there has to be something where you go, look, we want to keep a certain price point. So we have to do, we're going to make these sound as well as we possibly can. But there's physically no way that we can do all of this stuff in a $1,000 speaker. So I'm just curious where, where does, maybe I won't make it specific, where does a company have to make compromises when you are creating something for a really affordable price point? Is that a better framing of it? You know, I mean, I, I kind of get it, the, the question, but, you know, my answer would be you don't have to make compromises. You don't. You're you saying don't. you can do whatever you want. You, you put your customers first. Okay. You, you don't start with the price. You start with the experience you want to bring, and then you figure it out later. I mean, mm. I, I think it, it, uh, a lot of companies are in it for the glory of the product. We're, we're in it for the glory of the customer and the experience that they get, and, and it, it, you end up with, a lot of times, smarter products. When you get something, uh, I'm curious about your your role in the design process of a new product. Great question. So how does it, yeah. So we have. Take me through the, the whole sure. process. I mean, we have. Um, take me through the process with that microphone close to your mouth. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'm, I mean, I guess I have bad habits with these dynamic <laughs> microphones. That's right. Uh, um, we have a really interesting design process. So um, we ideate together. Um, see, the senior designers and I ideate together wh what we want to accomplish, what we want to create. And, and what would be an example of that? You're like, we need want to want a new speaker. Or we want a new speaker that does this. Or okay, so well, it's a, it's a. I mean, first of all, they're noodling around all the time, and right. they're like, okay, I. We, we, you know, we've been playing, the, the uh, 16 Ultra would be a great example. We've been playing with the idea of a larger driver than 13 inch for a long time, but we couldn't come up with a way to um, create a larger driver that was distortion, relatively distortion free, relatively not boomy. And uh, you know, in our opinion, every 15 and 18 inch driver out there is subject to extreme distortion, more problems than they, they basically create more problems than they solve. They, some of them are capable of moving a lot of bass, but they're not accurate. So how to fix that? And our engineers are like tearing their hair out trying to figure that out. Well, a couple of them figured out a really cool solution, which was instead of a three-inch voice coil controlling a large driver, we have an eight-inch edge-wound voice coil. Now, that was not something I came up with. What does that mean for those of us that... Yeah, great point. Um, what it meant was, all of a sudden, the... the <laughs> can you hold this microphone for me? Because I, I don't seem to be able to do... No, I'm totally kidding. Um, what it meant was that... Um, the control that you need for the driver to provide precise bass and accurate bass in addition to a lot of bass and low frequency extension was now there. Now we had the, the germ of an idea. We marry it up with a massive motor and, and, and then they circle back to me and they're like, we think we have something here. And I'm like, go for it. Let's see what we can do. And, and um, 
uh, and then you know they'll circle back around a few months later and go, this is going to need massive amounts of power in order to work. And so we, in parallel, begin a process of, hey, how can we improve on our amplifier platform? And these are how these things go, because a, a speaker system or a subwoofer, they're an ecosystem of driver, amplifier, cabinet uh, design, all that stuff. And in, and in the case of 16 Ultra, we realized we needed some very sophisticated DSP in order to make the whole thing work. Mm. We needed a massively powerful amplifier. Next thing we knew, we, we knew we needed real-world current. So next step in the process, now we have MOSFET uh, discrete output. And then when we had this, you know, and, and I swear it was this iterative, then when we had this, um, D we knew we needed this sophisticated DSP, the guy circled back to me and said, this DSP is so sophisticated it can be controlled via a smartphone app. Should we begin development on that? And so we mm. did. Mm. So when we talk about, like, the basics of a subwoofer, and you're saying that the challenge is to make them tighter and accurate in terms of the actual sound that comes out of them. I can tell you five things a great subwoofer should do. Would okay. you like to hear that? Yeah, I would love to hear those, I think those five. And then I, I want you to break down the, because you mentioned a few things. Remember, we're beginners, so yeah, we, totally. don't, we don't know what a motor or voice coil or any of that stuff Sorry is. about that. So, I'll, I'll try so, and do better. No, it's okay. But I, I want to ask you to break down kind of the components and, will. and why it matters. So tell me the five things that I a will, good subwoofer should have. And I think have. if you know the five things, you know what you need to know, in okay. fact. Okay, good. Um, yeah, we don't have to get super techie, right? Right, the, right. So... First of all, a subwoofer needs to have extreme low frequencies. It needs to, uh, because what a subwoofer is, is a purpose, you know, to start from the beginning, a subwoofer is a purpose-built speaker designed to reproduce bass. Right. Bass, ex uh, a subwoofer exploits a human perceptual failing, which is that bass is non-directional. You can't tell where it's coming from. And so one or two subwoofers can deliver all the bass for two speakers or five speakers, seven speakers, 10, 11, 14 speakers because right. it's non-directional. Okay. Or omnidirectional. Uh, omnidirectional, or, or even better. Right, yeah. Even better. Right. Omnidirectional, so even better. Um, so what does bass bring? Well, in, in, in my opinion, two-thirds of the content in any, uh, or two-thirds two of the emotional content of any um, home theater experience comes from the sound. And I would make the case that half of that fun, excitement, and emotional involvement comes from the bass. Yeah. Bass you Easily. Can, right? Yeah. Bass That's when my can, friends go like this with each other. They look, they, as soon as that thing hits, they go, whoa. Yeah. It's, I mean, in, in fact, you're, you're asking me you know, questions about motors and voice coils, and you want me to break it down. But in the end of the day, no one needs bass to be explained to them. Right. You, 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 you either you can, feel you, it or you don't. I'll bring you over to my house, and I'll do a demo, and, and you'll, you're going to have an ear-to-ear -ear grin. It's right. going to be obvious. I won't need to explain to you right. that your pant legs were shivering from <laughs> right. the demo right. I just did. Right, right. So um, the five things that a subwoofer needs to do in order to be great, in our opinion, and I think this applies to any subwoofer, not just SVS, extreme low frequency extension, meaning bass that is so deep, it's below the threshold of audibility, and you don't hear it so much as you feel it. Right. And um, that seems like Captain Obvious, but the reality is most of the subwoofers in the price ranges of SVS don't have that ability, and so they exaggerate the mid-bass in order to make mm. up for the deficiencies in the lowest bass. And um, that, is that where it gets down to the 19 and 20 hertz right. range, that... Every is SVS subwoofer but one is rated below 20 hertz. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, and 20 that's hertz is really the threshold of audibility. Okay. Um, a, the, a lot of the other uh, uh, subwoofers in those 
more affordable price ranges, exaggerate the mid-bass so you get this thing called one-note bass, which Ooh. is not as convincing as hearing the full spectrum of what the director, producer, musician intended. Right. Second thing, you need to be able to reproduce that bass at whatever volume level you're listening to the rest of the content. That also seems obvious, but the truth of the matter is most subwoofers Im uh, deploy amplifier limiting so that when you crank up the full range speakers, which are passive, the amplifiers outside of them, you crank them up, they're going to play as loud as you tell them to play. The subwoofer being a self-contained ecosystem, including amplifier, when you crank it up beyond where it's designed to go, it just stops. Mm. So right when you want to impress your friends, crank it up, have, have a you know, totally cool bass experience, that's when the subwoofer stops delivering, and you're like, where did the bass all go? Right. So Is that hard to do as a subwoofer manufacturer? Super to get hard. It, to get it so when you're at a moderate level or even low level, you can still feel that, that the room is pressurized. Well, that's a different issue. And that, okay. That, I would say, yeah, um, yeah, that's really important. And um, that's more about... Is that placement? Um, pl placement's certainly an important point. But I would say, as far as what you're talking about, where the, when the sound is turned down, that's about that lowest frequencies. Mm. Um, if the subwoofer is only delivering mid-bass, when you turn it down, that will tend to disappear into the room. If you go into our room when we're chilling um, in between demos and we just listening to music turned down, you'll still hear the subwoofer because it's delivering those deepest bass notes. Right, right, right. So the two main things are extreme low frequencies at whatever volume level the listener wants, but then we want to refine it. You also want to have accurate frequency response. You want to have all the, the frequencies that are supposed to be there in the exact proportion that is supposed to be yeah. there. Because how do, how do I tell that? How do I know how to do that? Well, the way you know is, is it a convincing experience? Does it sound like the same note over and over again? Or, you know, if you do one of our home theater demos, you're going to hear, uh, uh, a, a, does it resemble real life mm. to you? That's probably the, how the listener will best know if it's doing its job. Okay, okay. And then the fourth thing is another one, nuance, SVS, SVS, it's a, an SVS hallmark. By the way, I don't seem to know how to hold a microphone. So <laughs> I wish should have started it's there. It's like remedial Sorry. microphone Sorry. Right use. there. Make so it tickle your lower lip right. at all times. This is and really you're good gross. I hope, I hope the last yeah. guy who used oh, this dude, microphone didn't have a cold. not been washed in four years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. So it's fine. Anyway, um, uh, the fourth thing, which is an SVS hallmark, is um, what we call speed and transient response, mm. meaning is the subwoofer quick enough to start and stop on a dime so that if there's a slap of, a, of an acoustic bass, do you hear the, 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 the finger on the string? Mm. If a door is shutting in a movie, does it shut and then immediately stop making the noise that it was making? Um, that is an SVS hallmark. We, and, and when you were asking me where does the motor fit in, you need to have a massive motor, not only to move the driver forward and move that air that is necessary for that bass, but you also need the motor to be able to stop that driver Ooh. on a dime so that you stop hearing the bass at the exact instant you're supposed to. Is that essentially what the magnet does, is having a bigger... Well, the is magnet, the voice coil. I right. mean, the driver, you know, I That's hate all to use part the word, of the motor. I'm using the word ecosystem twice in one uh, conversation, but yeah, the driver right. is a kind of a combination of different things okay. that are all designed to do that. Got it. And it's an art and, an, and a science to be able to create drivers that do that. Okay. So 
That's four. That's four. The yeah. fifth one is a more uh, nuanced one, but it's important. The subwoofer must blend seamlessly with the full-range speakers. So nobody wants to hear a subwoofer, and they don't want to hear a subwoofer and speakers. They want a total experience. So when you're listening, you want to be able to sort of... Um, you know the subwoofer is there, you feel the bass, but really it's contributing to the total experience and it's part of a convincing theater or movie or uh, music experience. I was just about to, I wrote down uh, the best methodology. So I go out and buy a SVS sub right. and I add it to my either bookshelves or my full range speakers. What's the best way to blend it? Like what's, is there, can you give us maybe a couple of tips on how to blend seamlessly? That's a great question. Well, I think the first step is to go on to svsound.com, our website, and we have a Merlin subwoofer speaker matching engine. Okay. Um, now, it's there first and foremost to help the person choose the right subwoofer for their speakers because SVS subwoofers are obviously matched with every other brand of speaker. So it's just a helpful tool to help that. But the other thing that it does is it tells you the ideal crossover point mm. uh, to set your subwoofer so that it perfectly matches your speakers. So that would be a first step. The other thing is to work with um, uh, either an expert or call us up, our sound experts, and let us help you set up your, if it's a two-channel system, your preamp or your receiver, to optimize it for the... Um, speakers and subwoofer that you have, or if you're in a home theater environment, the home theater receiver or preamp processor to optimize the settings within that for your speakers and your subwoofer so they match perfectly. Most subwoofers don't have all the adjustments that ours do, even at our lowest prices, which allow you to make those changes, but it's good to work with an expert to help you make the right, select the right choices. In the end of the day, though, Everybody has the perfect measuring tool for, for uh, knowing whether you did that well, which is the human ear. Right. There's no um, uh, electronic measuring device that's more accurate than a human ear. What should you be listening for when you, when you have it right? So two things. I, I mean, one, one, which sounds obvious but it isn't, is does it sound like it's really happening in the room? Does it, like if it's music, does it sound like the, the music, uh, acoustic instruments, do they sound like those actual instruments that you've heard live? If it's a recording that you're familiar with, does it sound the way that your mind remembers it? Mm. Um, if it's a movie, it's a little easier. Do the effects sound realistic? Am I convinced? Am I being drawn into the illusion that what's going on in that room, that what I'm watching on that screen is really happening? If I, if I voluntarily suspend my disbelief about what's going on on screen, can I actually let myself believe what's going on is really happening? If yes, then the home theater and the subwoofer are doing their job. Okay. The, um, do you recommend, um, so I'm thinking through a, a typical AVR setup that somebody might have for their home theater. Because I feel like setting up two-channel maybe is a little easier. Maybe you can tell me wrong. But um, by default, they cross over at uh, 80 megahertz. Uh, 80 is where the crossover point is a lot in a lot of times. Do you recommend they stay there, or do you do you like to run them full range, or how do you know what do you think about the front speakers versus the subwoofer? So um, most audio video receivers have some form of measurement and room autom yeah. automatic room correction. Right. Some work better than others. So are there some um, you like, or you don't want to say? 
Sure, I'll say. I, I'm a big fan of Odyssey Multi-XT32. Yep, that's what I have. Um, I think it works great. Um, and in f and But, you know, I think an expert will have their argument with what Odyssey heard. So, But the first thing I will do is configure the system correctly, then run Odyssey multiple times, four or five times. Will you run the Odyssey, the pro mode? You know how they yes, have a special absolutely. pro mode? Do, do, the, do the best mode. Don't do this quick mode. Do, take well, because, well but th there's people in my local stereo shop that will come out and bring their even fancier microphone and do a whole Odyssey thing. Or I can just use the Odyssey mic that came with it and run it three or four times. So I, I think when you have Odyssey Multi-XT32, if we're talking about that one, yeah. um, I personally would use it the way that the it's way packed it in, okay, cool. in the box. But then I, I will say that I, I, and the guys know this, and we do it every trade show, I'll circle back and see what Odyssey thinks it found. Mm. And I will make some corrections. Um, and so that is not something maybe a beginner. I know the name of your site yeah. is Beginner Audio File. Yeah, That's yeah. something a beginner audio file may not know how to do. Right. But we I don't know that I do. Well, so. That's one of the things that we do. We have our sound experts. They're there seven days a week on the other end of the phone. Hmm. They're familiar with every surround sound receiver and preamp processor you can name, and they'll help you make sure that the, the, the Odyssey made the right decisions for your speakers and your hmm. subwoofer. That's super cool. Yeah, it is cool. And they'll do it. You know, It doesn't matter if it's an SVS system or not. We don't care. Wow. We just want to be helpful. Wow, that's really rad. Okay. And so that dials in then the home theater. And then f do you recommend... Running full range, or do you like to cross them over? How well, again? You know, running speakers large or small. You know how if right. I have a set of towers, right? And multi XT thirty two typically has uh, gradients within large and small. They yeah. actually have ten hertz gradients between that. And what I would say is it totally depends on the speaker. Okay. I mean, it's not dependent on the subwoofer. It's dependent on the speaker. Got it. So, uh, SVS speakers, uh, I I would run any of our speakers full range other than our prime satellites which are our small speakers they do better when they're crossed over around 70 or 80 hertz okay but the other ones the standard bookshelves you'll run them full range absolutely okay. well but i let odyssey's going to make some decisions and we're going to roll with it like with our um, our prime center in this system up here uh, odyssey decided to call it a smaller speaker um, and we rolled with that because okay. Odyssey then will divert some of the bass to the subwoofer. If you now tell, um, you're, you, you overrule Odyssey and tell it, you're, you're wrong, Odyssey, it's actually a big speaker, then the bass just kind of disappears. It doesn't go anywhere. Right. So you don't want to do that. Right. That's what I'm, I guess that's what I have run into, which is oftentimes it says uh, run them as small because then it gives you that more mid-bass and bass. But sometimes if you run them as large, it cuts that off. So it's, I guess you have to experiment with whatever works. Well, best I would for say you. this. Um, knowing what, you, again, you can work with us. We have expertise in this, but knowing what you know, and as you play with it, you can go from large to small, and there will be no penalty mm. to you. But you can't go from small to large. There will be a penalty. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, if you have, if we were setting up a, a basic two channel system, uh -huh. and let's say. Would you recommend something like the SB2000 sub for that? So that's a great question, and I do say this pretty unequivocally. Um, some people may disagree with me, but in my opinion, two-channel should be a sealed cabinet subwoofer. Okay. We, SVS has two configurations of ported cabinet. We have our ported box, and we, which is a wooden cap or an MDF cabinet, and then we have our cylinders, which we're famous for, right. that are also ported. But in the case of a two-channel system, I'm a big fan of using sealed cabinet. 
So if it starts with What do you S, get out of that? Is it a tighter, more accurate? It's modestly tighter and more accurate. Okay. And, and when you say tighter, you're really talking about transient response. So it, it so um, and I totally think that's the right thing because what you don't a, um, a sealed cabinet subwoofer ha, there's if it's well designed which I like to say ours are sure um, will not will be able to keep up with the fastest most accurate audiophile speakers um, okay an SVS sealed cabinet an SVS ported cabinet may have characteristics that that. Um, slow the sound down a little bit relative to an audiophile two-channel system. Okay. Our sealed cabinets never will. Okay. So if you have that kind of... I'm thinking right now specifically in my bedroom. So I have a, I have a, uh, a dresser and my two bookshelf speakers, and they're interchangeable based on whoever sent me bookshelves to test that week. Um, and I have a sub... That's not made by you. Um, it's made by Quad. How and it's, dare you? I know. I don't have the no, next. I don't, I don't totally have the kidding. ported one. Um, but anyway, so it's in my. Um, it's in this sort of wardrobe in the corner because that would be, and I don't have one, but that would be where the wife acceptance factor would put it. Right. So when you have a challenge in terms of the perfect location, what do you do? Or is it is it always DSP or? I don't know. Did you, you, you say that you want to place the subwoofer in the corner, is it, or you have to place the I subwoofer? I have to. Okay. It is, the, it is the only aesthetic spot that I can do it. So um, what you have done when you place the subwoofer in the, in the corner is you have corner-loaded it. Okay. And what that means is that you are going to have reflections from both of those walls that, that create the corner. Right. So what typically happens in that situation is not necessarily bad things, but lots of bass. Right. And so you may find yourself actually turning it a little bit down so that it doesn't totally overwhelm the room. Muddier uh, than I want it to be. Muddier possibly, yeah. too. And, and Odyssey can help with that if it's, if it's a multi-channel yeah. system. If it's not, then you can use... Um, all of our subwoofers have continuous phase control, you can fool around a little bit, twisting it, twisting that knob a little bit mm. to see if you can reduce some of that boominess. Okay. Um, and I will say this, and uh, Nick, uh, Nick and uh, Dan and I, who set up the system uh, uh, on uh, Thursday for this show, experienced it. Sometimes moving a subwoofer literally three inches can make a world of difference, which yeah. it did in our room. Um, we, had it, uh, we had it loading to a side wall, and um, there was some what's called phase cancellation, which means parts of the room you literally hardly hear any bass, and other parts of the room you are bowled over by too much bass. By pulling it just a few inches away from the wall from where it was, that all went away. Mm. I can't tell you for any particular room what thing is going to work, but sure, you, can, of course. you can play with it. And we actually have a blog on our site um, telling uh, different methods of how to um, place a subwoofer. And there's actually a thing you can do called the subwoofer crawl. Yes, I do that in my theater room. It's a fun thing to do. It is. If you have options of where to place it, you can figure out by using the subwoofer crawl method the optimal place to put the subwoofer. I ended up with two or three spots, mm -hmm. uh, certainly for sub one. And I, was always, I always wondered this, and I guess you're here now. So for sub two, do you mirror it or do you do another crawl to try to find? Do you shut the first one off and try to find another spot? Oh, I wouldn't. You know do, what I'm saying? If you're doing dual subs, I, this, I don't think the crawl works that well when you have dual subs. Okay. I think usually what you want to do in that situation is, I mean, the the, the perfect 
way to place dual subwoofers is not usually the way most people do it. Right. And that's okay because dual subwoofers almost inherently are going to guarantee you way fewer room anomalies. So mm. a lot of these things we do to make a single subwoofer work in a room, they, they're, they're not out the window, but they're not nearly as important. Interesting. Okay. So do you then, are you... Uh Front side to front side, corner to corner. There's, Opposite, there's different the, ways. The way you're supposed to do, not supposed, that's the wrong word, but I would say the, if, if you told us, let me, you know, if you gave us full latitude to put it wherever we yeah. wanted to, yeah. then you would put it in opposite corners. Mm. But no one does that. So, right. you know, <laughs> right. most people will put it um, on the same wall about, you know, four or six feet apart, and that usually works just great. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, as a, as a single subwoofer guy for 14 years at least, mm-hmm. putting that second sub in the room was a, a true night and day difference. And this it was is huge. A, and this and the reason it 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 was night and day is not not because it was two SVS subwoofers. It could be true of others, but with ours, in this case, it was. Right. So. And so, in the case of two SVS subwoofers, the reason it is night and day is not because you needed extra firepower in that room. It's because you needed to solve those room anomalies I was talking about. Right. So you have, obviously, every innovative company has some new things in the pipeline. Um, I know we're going to circle back and talk about some of those things when they launch, but if you could, do you want to drop some hints and what you guys are excited about in the next few months? Yep. I'm going to tell you some stuff that I shouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway. Beautiful. I love um, it. So we need something to save our pennies for. We learned a ton from the 16 Ultra project. Right. That is your 16-inch sub that you debuted at LA or CES? We debuted actually here one year ago. Oh, right. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. In fact, killer. It's it's its one year birthday, so we had a little party last night. Oh, cool. Although I think we forgot to talk about the subwoofer. But anyway, and I uh, forgot my invite. Let me see (laughs) if I can find it somewhere. That's cool. Thanks. (laughs) Anyway, um, so but we learned so much on that project. The amplifier platform is second to none. It's arguably the most powerful amplifier ever in a consumer subwoofer. The 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 control app is amazing. So what you're going to hear in the coming months. Uh, are uh, more affordable products that deploy that same platform mm. and some of those same benefits. So, so that was the Formula One car. Now it's trickling down into yeah, the... Yeah, now it's going to the Toyota right, Atlantic now it's going into, right. So there you go. Okay. So, yeah, it's, and that is gonna, well, that's going to be really exciting because it's going to be more in the sweet spot of what SVS customers are used to spending on a subwoofer. Yeah. And then the other thing I will tell you, which I shouldn't, but I'm a blabbermouth, is we will have our first wireless Wi-Fi Bluetooth connectable um, speaker solution, which we are expecting to launch at CES, at least in in prototype mm. form. So that's going to be really exciting for us. Although subwoofers are still the most important part of our business, the most dr- dramatically growing part of our business is speakers. And we're really excited to have a Wi-Fi speaker that, with a twist on it that I think no one is doing. And we'll also have a standalone um, Wi-Fi um, uh station that can drive other speakers, SVS or other brands, and it will be using the DTS PlayFi uh, ecosystem. Oh, cool. So yeah. tried and true tried and true ecosystem. Here's a seed to plant for your crazy designers that can't stop doodling, which is I can't wait for somebody to invent uh, a Dolby Atmos solution wireless that I can just double stick or Velcro to my ceiling and we can charge independently with some batteries. Maybe it has a 30-hour charging time. Who knows? But that's what I want. So, actually, (laughs) 
As remember, there's nothing that's truly wireless when it's installed in your home because it has to plug into the wall and get power somehow. If it's a wireless right. station, that's why I said the battery thing. I've got a battery. So you're going to change a battery in your in your in your no, living room. No, you make it USB chargeable, and you have you know you it comes with about you know how the these things the spare batteries you have with your phone. Mm -hmm. So you can charge them like you charge a Tesla, and you make sure you're you're charged. And maybe they have one charging wire between all four. And then once they're charged, there's a green light, then there's an amber light, then there's a red light. Once you get into the red light, you got five hours left, and you got to recharge the things. Well, the general wisdom is that because I was going to go trying to disrupt right gonna, now. I know you are. You're disrupting my idea, though. But no, but <laughs> I, no. The general wisdom is that you can't do battery powered in an installed product. Now that may be this false. is the apartment people. These are the apartment people that want Atmos. Solve I, I that think problem. There, I'm. There is going to be a way to solve it. And, okay. And, and what it would be would be a version of what we it's going to be called Prime Wireless, which will come out. It'll be capable. We would just marry it up with a Wi-Fi module that connects directly to, or I should say a wireless module that connects directly to your receiver wirelessly. Right. So that capability will be there, but it won't be battery powered. That's the only difference between what you're asking for and what and the general wisdom is people don't want to walk around the room changing batteries or charging batteries and they they know they need to have some ac connectivity on a product that they're using in their home yeah um but i will take this under advisement i'm just saying i'm thinking there's I'm gotta thinking be a, there's it. has to be a solution somewhere <laughs> okay i did just see a um <clears throat> one of the one of the a couple of the tvs that have come out lately have had these almost invisible wires that are going from the TV to a control module right. somewhere that the control module yeah, we have is one in, actually have one in our in our booth. Oh, okay. Yeah, so and I that. wonder if it's something like cuz then if I'm running just one little fiber optic or whatever it is to to a module that powers I could I could live with that. That'd be the good intermediate version. Well, we're we'll talk have, about it. No, no, no. We're going to have wireless capability okay. in this in this product. It will be it will, I'm it, not talking about this product. I don't want to interrupt your flow about your own well, product. I'm just I mean, it's just one extra uh, module that you would use so that it would have a direct connect to the receiver, but you totally can do that. Okay. And then PlayFi, here's the other thing. You're talking about height effects, so that's a much more high-end thing. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying it won't do that right out of the box, but what, what it will do right out of the box is rear surround sound effects wirelessly. That's cool. You won't need any, right, uh, that's any cool. additional device. It'll come out of the box doing that. And you could buy as many as you need. You could go 5.1, 7.1. You could buy four and get 7.1. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, Although that'd be cool. There's some twists to that, which I'll probably bore your right. list. It, y the answer is yes, but there'd be a couple of twists when you're doing the front channels. But yes. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that we're going wireless. Is it, is it a big challenge? Well, then we'll wrap this thing up. But is it a big challenge for... A company that is used to, um, like, will there ever be a, a, a fully wireless subwoofer? Or is there too much info that has to go no, through we, that? No, we, we have a, every one of our subwoofers can be connected wirelessly to okay. the system. You just have to get our uh, um, SVS wireless subconnector, um, which is, um, I hope I'm quoting the price right. I believe it's $69.95. So yeah, you you've already you, solved it. So you add that, Psh. and now it's wireless connected. So it's totally doable. I do. I will say, not to rain on the parade, all wireless technologies, all of them, with no exception, have a, the slightest amount of what's called latency, latency meaning yeah. you get it like a couple of milliseconds later than the rest of the content. So it's always preferable, if possible, to connect the subwoofer via a wire. Yeah. Old because school. Because that's instant. Old school wire. Yeah, because it's instant. 
Nicholas Brown, do you have anything to add to this? Uh, it's good to see you again. Anything to add to this chat? No, I'm, I'm kind of mad at Gary for spilling the beans on a couple oh, of things. Oh, come on. We'll, we'll take it offline afterwards. And, uh, and for Michael, we, we'll do that for you. Uh, no, right. it's just been a phenomenal show here. I mean, uh, we are a bit of the outliers, but uh, it's been phenomenal to see some, some younger faces here at Rocky Mountain Audio Fest, more so than I remember seeing in a long time. And, uh, and just doing what we do up in that room and, and showing how you can have these, these really cool sort of IMAX-level immersive uh, three-dimensional audio experiences and, and do it in a way that's inclusively priced. You know, people come in and they get reverse sticker shock, I feel like, because, you know, right. they hear it and then they're like, how much is this? And then you tell them and then their jaw just kind of drops a little bit and their eyes get really wide. And, and that's what we love to do. You know, we want people to understand that this is possible and it doesn't have to be something that you save up, you know, your entire life for or, you know, get a second mortgage on. And, and so that's why we love doing these shows is just that sort of uh, that shock factor. One of the things I love, I've seen the SVS room now probably half a dozen times. And one of my favorite things is you walk in and it's just wallpapered with five star reviews from all of the different review resources in the world i mean really honestly and it's you don't need much more evidence than to walk in and go look these here it is you know here's here's a literally a room filled with testimonials about our products so. yeah we, we love to say nice things about our own products but sure. we like it more when other people say nice things about right. our products and and we don't enter these awards like a lot of them are just you know reviewers they get the product they uh you know they either use it as a recommended component um, or, you know, they, they choose to, to buy it at accommodation even. And, and those are the kind of things that we just get really excited about is because these people want to bring it into their systems and they're giving it like their best of in, a, in an issue. Uh, and so we like to share that with people. And then the, the user reviews, they're just as powerful, if not more powerful, because that's our customers. Like they're willing to go onto our site and write, you know, three paragraphs about how it completely changed their home theater experience. And, and if we can bring some of that excitement, some of that energy to a show, you know, without us saying it ourselves, that's what we like to do with our room and sort of just, you know, let it be a, a, its own third-party testimonial, you know, just by looking at the walls. Well, plus, there's not really a lot of downside. You, it, you, somebody orders a couple subs and they go through the setup with you guys and do the thing. If they don't like them, they can send it back. And that's just part of the deal. And I, I can't imagine how many. You said you pay shipping? Yeah. So you'll pay shipping both ways. And it's like, look, for what am I, 1500 bucks? I think, for the two SB2000s that were that completely, I literally, this is God's honest truth, I have not gone to a movie in the last three years that sounds anywhere near as good as my own system at my house. I, I'm not moved anywhere near as much as I am at home. So, and it's a lot to do with that feel and that experience. Now, that is my favorite way to shock the uninitiated is to take them into my theater and do a movie that maybe they've seen or maybe they haven't, but they're like, this is actually better. They're like sort of astonished that it's actually better than the sound that they have experienced in a movie theater. And yeah. that, that's our goal. Yeah, and you guys nail it. So anyway, I love SVS, and, and as you all know, and um, I just think you guys are you're, uh, you're doing the good work. You're doing the good work in the industry. We really appreciate that, and, you know, it is, it's a total customer experience thing. It's, you know, the sound experts that Gary was mentioning, you know, before you even picked up a product. You know, give us a call. Let us know. This is yeah. what I currently have. This is what I want to have. You know, help coach me up a little bit. We're not going to just recommend the most expensive thing. We're not going to tell you your gear isn't good enough. We're going to work with you to get the perfect experience. And then from that point on, you know, we have uh, all the other things like free shipping, trade-up program, a lot of things that make it fun and rewarding to be a, you know, a customer for life. SVSound.com is where all this stuff can happen. Gary Nicholas, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Hey, hey thanks to you. You know, I love the spirit of your 
site. It's it's bringing new people into this awesome hobby that we've had. I mean, I'm, I'm an old. You're blood in the sport. Is I'm what an I keep old. Saying. You know what? And yeah, and we yeah we need new blood. I mean, yeah. we, you know, it's it it feels like even walking around these halls, there's too many. It's too dominated by older people, and it's great when we bring new... It, it, this stuff is awesome and fun, so it's great to bring new people into it. So thanks to you. Thanks, man. Yeah, all good. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to Beginner Audiophile. For gear giveaways and answers to your questions, join our mailing list at beginneraudiophile.com. Tag pictures of your audio setup to at Beginner Audiophile on Instagram. Until next time, keep experiencing great music.